Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Linda Craft with Linda Craft and Team Realtors in Raleigh, North Carolina. Last year, she closed 356 transactions with a total sales volume of $88 million. Her average sales price was $247,000, of which 53% were buyers and 47% were sellers. She operates a team with 19 members. Eight buyer specialists, two seller specialists, one listing manager, one buyer closing manager, one seller closing manager, one marketing manager, one director of first impressions, one short sale manager, one client care specialist, one accounting manager, and one team leader. Linda Craft is the team leader of Linda Craft and Team. She has been an agent for 29 years and has sold over 6,000 homes in her career. In this call, Linda talks about her slow start in real estate, her 6,000 past client database, and how to develop lifelong relationships, putting on events for her past clients and sphere of influence, detailed discussion of her Valentine's Day movie event, Thanksgiving pie giveaway event, shredding event, and Santa Claus Day event, including cost, how she gets people to the events with her step-by-step marketing plan, why she partnered up with a major sports franchise, how she landed an expert slot on a local TV station, why she sends video email and how you can too, how she attracts free SEO internet leads to her website, getting clients from walk-in traffic, how she advertises with a moving van for free, using audio tours to get more leads from sign calls, why she sets listing appointments in her office and how you can too. Plus, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com that's free referral script.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Linda. Thank you very much. That's quite an introduction. I'm exhausted just listening to all those numbers. Well, Linda, thanks for joining us. Before we get into what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. My life was very boring. I worked for a pharmaceutical company for a few years. Then I decided I was going to open up a health food store called The Natural Habit because I was into fitness, well, I still am, and eating healthy and and taking care of myself. And then my husband's company relocated us to Raleigh, North Carolina. So after three years of having a retail store and had opened my second location, I'm relocating across country from from the St. Louis area and um, landed in Raleigh, which I absolutely love. And it took me about a year or so to figure out what I was going to do next. I knew it wasn't going to be retail because that's a lot of work. And so instead, I chose something very similar to retail that is a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's all fun and one thing leads to another, that's for sure. When you first got into real estate, did you have a fast start or a slow start? 
I got started in real estate during the savings and loan crisis. So this last down market has been nothing for me because I didn't know any better when I got in and had no idea what it meant to have foreclosures everywhere and more inventory sitting in the market than you knew what to do with. So I definitely had a slow start. I also, about the time I got into real estate, I'd been in for about four months. My father died of a heart attack, and he was quite young and certainly wasn't expecting it. I guess that's part of a heart attack. And then I went through a divorce right away. And so before I knew it, I was six months into real estate, divorced with a a child that was then 10 years old and 100% commission. And it was definitely a very slow and rough start, and I had to do whatever it took just to make it. I mean, it was it was quite the years. But you persisted through that. And how long have you been in the business now? 29 years. How many homes did you sell last year? Well, last year I sold 356 residential homes. Really, it's my best year that I've had so far. Back in 2004, 5, and 6, we were always in the 300s. The year before, 2012, we actually closed 422 transactions but 122 of those were rentals. We did some rentals. We did whatever we could to just kind of survive the down market. And so I've closed that part of my business off. It's more work than I want to entertain right now with the market being what it is. When you say you did the 120 rentals, was that as a property management or were you doing tenant representation? It was both. I opened up a property management division about um, 2011 just because the market was just so bad and I needed to get revenue and I also needed to make the telephone ring for my buyer's agents. And we grew those to almost 70 properties in about a year just because of my brand and reputation and what we did on the internet. And then when I realized the revenue stream just wasn't what I needed it to be, we started closing all that down, starting with turning off the internet flow of it and just transferring all of our our property management's over to another company and receiving a referral feedback. It just seemed like the better thing to do than actually have to manage it in-house. And it's a lot of work. We did 122 transactions that were rentals with property management. That's as much work as a new listing that you're going to sell for thousands of dollars. So it was a no-brainer to turn that off as quickly as the pipeline started getting much busier with people who wanted to buy and sell. I think that shows that you're willing to try new things and see if they're going to work out. And if they don't, you're willing to switch back to what you do know is going to work. Well, one of the things that I have learned, I've been through four down markets and obviously a lot of change in in our area with good years and bad years is, is the case with most people in real estate. I've learned that you have to change. I mean, one of the huge changes that I made when the market started shifting was getting into short sales. I immediately, I was at a conference, I learned about the CDPE designation, I signed up for it immediately and was the first person in the state of North Carolina to get that designation to do short sales because in my mind, I said, the market is shifting, I need to have inventory that will cause the telephone to ring and during a down market, everybody wants a great deal. So they're going to chase short sales, they're going to chase foreclosures and my job as a leader of my team is to make sure I keep raining and make that phone ring for everybody. And so we still do our share of short sales, but that was a really heavy focus as the market turned. I just changed all my advertising, went after that book of business. So yes, Mike, (laughs) I move wherever I need to move at the market to be successful. How many homes have you sold in your whole career? So I'm over 6,000 homes. Wow, that's impressive. Thank you. Well, let's talk about where you are now. Where is Raleigh, North Carolina? 
Well, it's a beautiful part of our country. It sits about an hour and a half from the beach and around three hours from the mountains. And is also the capital. Raleigh is the capital of North Carolina. What's the population there? Raleigh is a part of Wake County. It's almost a million now. Raleigh is about 500,000. All together with what we call the Triangle area is right at 2 million households. When you say triangle, I think I've heard that before. Is that the, the research triangle? It is, yeah, the Research Triangle Park. With Raleigh being the capital, of course, our number one employer is state government. And then followed by that, a very close second is Research Triangle Park. And Research Triangle Park makes up medical facilities, research, no actual production, just all research and development. And their pool is from our three major universities, which I'm sure everybody in this call has heard of because of ACC. We've got North Carolina State University, UNC, University of Chapel Hill, and of course, Duke. Very famous for our colleges, and that's what Research Triangle Park is centered around, is those three colleges. Describe your current real estate market. Our average price range in Raleigh has always hovered around 250000 We dropped down a little bit, of course, in the down market, but that's kind of our average. And right now, what we're seeing is homes that are priced 400 and below in any of the prime areas, North Raleigh, Cary, Apex, inside the Beltline, they're flying off the shelf. It's hard to even keep an inventory right now. When we place an offer, we're going to have multiple offers come in. Unless the property is just grossly overpriced or in horrible condition, it's going to sell fast and you're usually going to get at list price or above. The higher we go, the slower, obviously, the, the market is. And about 750 and up and pretty much our highest price point is maybe a million, million and a half. We've got a few homes at $2 million, but we're not one of those markets that have 5 and $10 million homes. So once you get seven fifty and above, it's still very much a buyer's market. We'll have 12 months absorption rate on those types of properties. In the middle, between three hundred and seven fifty, if the house is in great condition, it's going to sell usually in an average of 90 days. So you're just starting to come through that recovery period, what, over the last year or so? I tell everyone we are in recovery. We have not recovered. Because you can look at the number of sales you have every month, and they make up a majority of first-time home buyers, investors. We're starting to get a few move-up buyers, and when that happens, you know you've recovered. But, you know, it's still, we've got a lot of sales happening every month, but there's still people taking advantage of the low interest rates and the lower prices. Do you have a niche or a specialization? You know, I really don't because we work with families in all price ranges. Obviously, we work with investors because of our short sale inventory, but I also work with the luxury buyer because I'm affiliated with Carolina Hurricanes and president of Luxury Home Marketing Group. So we work with everyone from a first-time home buyer, an investor, all the way up to you know that $750 to $1 million property. Could you please list the different ways you generate leads in business? Sure. Well, obviously, past clients with 6,000 of those in our database is our number one source of business. And followed very closely to that is internet. Everybody that has listings, they're going to have sign calls, so that's always a great generator. We also use audio tours and whole um, psychology to how we use those, which I hope we'll get to talk about. And then just branding, you know, general advertising. I'm out at the Carolina Hurricanes for every home game with an in-game presentation. People see me everywhere, and I network, and, you know, I'm just very well known. We have moving bands. I have a fleet of vehicles that are wrapped, and that's been great under the whole general advertising category. 
And we actually have a lot of walk-ins because I own my own building and it's on a very busy corner. And so we have a sign that says expert available now. And we just end up getting a lot of people walking in the door, mainly because of the brand and the location. Let's dive into each of those. Let's start with the, the one that's generating the most first, and that appears to be the past clients and sphere of influence. You mentioned that the size of your database is 6,000. If we were to look at that database of 6,000, how many of those would be past clients versus your sphere of influence? Oh, they're all past clients. I have over 20,000 people on my database, so they're all past clients. Do you have sphere of influence in the 20,000? What, what makes up the other, Was that, 14,000 people? We use top producer. I'm not really proud of that because I haven't ever found a database management system that's perfect and everything, but top producer is probably the best one out there for staying in touch and being able to break your database up into different categories. So we do have sphere of influence. We have vendors. We have people that I meet with networking. We have a lot of our buyer and seller leads that will automatically filter from our website into our database, so they're coded as buyer or seller. Business Leaders Club, I mean, I just have a lot of networking groups that we have all divided up that we stay in touch with. Oh, I also have a large group of people that have raised their hand that are thinking about selling or maybe even people that we've met with during the down market that we call seller prospects in town and seller prospects out of town. So I definitely have everything categorized so that when I do target a certain mailing to them, emailing to them or video mailing to them, I can speak into wherever they're at and whatever it is that they need. Well, let's dig into the 6,000 past client database. Everybody that works with you goes into this database. Do you also take the co-op buyer or seller and add them to your database? We call them orphan, and yes, we do. Is there any time that you remove people from the database? And if so, why? As we do our research, if they've moved out of the area and they weren't our past clients, if they were just someone that we were following up with or trying to maintain a relationship with, we absolutely move them out of the database. If they list their home with someone else and sell it, we remove them from the database. Odds of them ever coming back to us is just not worth keeping up. So we do have a clean up you know, regularly on our database, like everything that comes in this year where people are interested in selling, we will code them for the year 2014. So it's real easy for us if they don't want us to go back and clean that up and and eliminate it. So yeah, we're in constant, constantly trying to eliminate people that are in our database. Let's go back to orphans. You mentioned the orphans earlier. Do you add every buyer or seller on the other side of the table from you into this group, or are you selective? And if you're selective, how do you make that decision? So I have a lot of realtor friends that I know are very professional and going to be in the business and going to follow up with their clients. I never put them in my database. But anyone who sells one of my listings that more than likely won't be in business 12 months from now, because that's sort of the life expectancy of a realtor, I absolutely put them in my database. We follow up with them with a HUD statement that we'll forward to them at the end of the year. We also follow up with them after closing, which is a thank you and letting them know that some of the services that we have for after closing. And then we include them on anything that we're doing community-wide. So if we're having a past client event that we're opening up to the community, they're going to get an invitation to that as well. Well, let's talk about how you're staying in front of your past clients. What exactly are you doing and how often? So the first thing I do is I sit down 
at the end of the year and I put my marketing calendar together for the entire year. We plan ahead. We decide which dates we're going to hold what kind of events. I know that my past clients are going to get a video email from me at least once a month. My past clients will get postcards usually once a quarter inviting them to something that we're doing. And we do a lot of events for our past clients. Some of the events we can invite everyone. Some of the events we can only invite the ones that... um, Well, actually, let me talk to you about categories. So our past clients are not just all listed as past clients. They are listed as raving fans if they've ever sent us a referral and a past client. They are also listed as fans if they sent us a great testimony or a very nice survey after closing or during the time that we're working with them. But maybe they haven't sent us a referral yet, but we know there's someone that probably would. And then if they don't fall into those two categories, they're just labeled past clients. So for instance, last year for Valentine's Day, we rented a movie theater at a really nice theater in town. The Die Hard movie was coming out, so our invitation by postcard said, do you want a little action for Valentine's Day? And then we explained how we rented the theater, and we made it grand. We had balloon arches that they walked through and candy hearts that we gave them and just a lot of fun. But we only had 350 seats for that event, so we started by inviting our raving fans. If we fill an event, like a wine tasting or anything that we're doing where it's a smaller venue, we start with raving fans. If we don't fill it with raving fans, we then go to fans. And if for some reason we don't fill it with those two, we end up opening up to the entire database of past clients. So we do have uh, some strategic categories because some of the events that we do are expensive and we want them to be targeted. But then another event that we do where we include all of our past clients is we give away Thanksgiving Day pies the day before Thanksgiving. And this year, when we went to purchase pies, we had so many reservations. It was over 600 that were actually going to physically come to our office to pick up a pie that both of our moving vans were completely fulled as Costco, with their forklift truck, put pallets of pies into our moving van. And we film them. We film testimonies. We do all kinds of things where our clients come in for that event. So we have everything from small, intimate events like a movie theater. Well, I guess that's not that small to Pi Day, to a shredding event every year where we invite our entire database. I mean, that when I say entire, I don't mean just past clients. We invite everyone. We put flags out and invite the community. We post it on Facebook and, you know, share all the posts trying to get people in. We contact the media. We try to make it big. And that's a very inexpensive event to host, but you can reach so many people with it. For the four events, I've got movie day, Pi Day, shredding day. What's the fourth event each year? At Christmas, we have Santa Claus come. We don't have him come inside because that doesn't give us enough attention. Again, my office building is on a corner lot, and it's very busy, on one of the busiest streets in Raleigh. And so we rented the float that Santa was using for the parade, and we had Santa Claus, and we got a real Santa who was just awesome, sit inside the float on the sleigh, and then we let our past clients bring their children or whomever they wanted to have a picture made with Santa. So we hired a professional photographer that was able to take the picture, print it off immediately. It was a five by seven and of course it had our logo on it. And so that was one that we invited all of our past clients to that we did for Christmas. Right now we're giving away a weekend getaway on Facebook. We um, sent out a, a video email to our database telling them we were giving away a weekend for Valentine's Day And all they had to do to register was to write what they loved about their home and share the post. 
So we're always doing little things as well as big things like Santa Claus and shredding events. We've had parties in my home. We've had casino night. We've rented a park with a band, a friends and family festival, where we invited all of our clients and invited them to invite their friends as well. We have Caniac Carnival every year where there's just thousands of people that show up. We invite our database to that. So all throughout the year, if we're reaching our clients, we're really trying to reach them with something that they might want to engage with to continue to build that relationship because there's nothing better than being being able to see your past clients in person. And of course, we're always reminding them that we're still in the business and appreciate the referrals. Wow, that is a lot of events. And you mentioned that your purpose is engagement. So when you go to these events, do you, do you give a speech or are you trying to mingle with the crowd, do both? What's your objective at these events? Well, mainly to give them a really good time and something they remember. There is a law of reciprocation, and anytime you give someone anything, even if it's small, they feel like they need to give back to you in return. When we have the events, many times people are posting thank you on our Facebook page, which, you know, goes out everywhere. It gets the buzz going about, you know, they go into work and they talk about what their realtor gave them this weekend or, you know, the cool things that we do. And it's so much deeper than standing in front of them and saying thank you. And although I do that, if the venue is correct, for instance, at the movie theater, I absolutely have a microphone and tell them how much we love and appreciate all that they do and thank them for the referrals and how important they are to us. But we just try to say thank you with everything and let them know that we care about them. And, you know, when they come in to pick up their pie for Thanksgiving, we're having an opportunity to ask what they're doing with their family. And that pie has their label on it, so it goes hopefully to a family dinner where more people see and we have an opportunity to have people share their experience with us. It creates a lot of buzz. When you have one of these events, how are you putting out the word and how often? So let's take the, the, movie, the movie day as an example. How soon before that movie day is going to occur do you start promoting it? First, you mentioned you start with your raving fans. So how far out ahead do you start? And then to get the word out, are you sending a postcard, an email, a phone call? How are you getting the word out there? So it will differ depending on how many people we can actually bring to that event. So with movie night, we know it's going to fill out very quickly. We usually start about four weeks before the event, and we do it by a postcard. Then we follow up with an email, just as a reminder. And because it fills so quickly, we don't have to do much more. Now on Pi Day, which is a lot of planning, because we set up a Google Docs where they can go in and register for an apple or pumpkin pie. We first send out a postcard to everyone. We look at how many registrations we get. Then we send a reminder of when the deadline is. Then we send another reminder of their deadline. And then once we get all the reservations and it's capped off, then we send another reminder about picking up the pie. And if they, for some reason, something's changed and they can't get it, to let us know because we usually have a waiting list. And then we send a reminder the morning that they're supposed to pick up the pie just in case something's come up and they're not going to show up. We can donate it to a charity or send it home with our own families. So there's a lot of follow-up at a big event like that because it's very costly if no one shows up. On things like the shredding event where the cost is really low and we can have thousands of people come through for the same price, we start doing that at least two months in advance. We all send a reminder card about save the date, we'll send another postcard, we send emails, we have flags, 
We post it all over social media. So we blast that a lot longer. On the pie giveaway, you mentioned you sent out a postcard first and then several reminders, I think four. Were those reminders emails? Yes, they're all emails. And I have in the past, because I'm sure that some of your audiences may be looking for a way to save money and not do things like you know, mail, which is expensive. And sometimes email doesn't work because you don't have everyone's email address or their change emails. There's also a system called PostCall. PostCalls.com is where you learn about it. And that's where you can key up a phone list and send out a pre-recorded message to everyone that, that you have their phone number for. And that's another way to get the word out. Ah, so it's like a, a voicemail blast. Does it blast out a single message? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Does it send that out if people answer or only if it goes to voicemail or both? Well, both. If people answer, they'll receive the message. And if a voicemail picks up, the message will begin on that as well. So it'll be a recorded message to their recording. You mentioned you also send out a video email once a month. What is in the video email? Yeah, so let me talk about that a little bit. So, you know, video is just so important to have in your marketing. Even if it's just I jot and you're filming yourself at, at your desk or you've got a, somebody with a camera that can film some things. I mean, everybody wants a video. We know for a fact that people are going to watch a video before they do anything else. So it used to be that I would do my own videos or I'd have someone come in and, and we would do three or four videos at a time and then I'd queue them up to send out. But what I've been doing recently is for the past three years, I've been the real estate expert on NBC from My Carolina Today. And so now when I go in to do my segment, I try to make it something that's timely that I could send out to my database immediately. So it may be in the fall, I'll do something about fall maintenance on their program that I can send out to my database. And I also use those videos not just to send to my database, but to embed into certain parts of my website because people love video. So my advice would be if you're not doing video, start because it's, it's just huge. That's what everybody wants. People won't read anymore. They want to watch a how-to video. And uh, I got a call just over the weekend from some magazine that wanted to interview me about the real estate market. They weren't actually trying to sell me anything. They just wanted an interview from an expert. And it was because of all my videos that they chose to call me. So uh, you know, video is the way to go. Well, Linda, that brings up an interesting question. It sounds like you have an expert slot on a local TV station, a TV show. How did you do that? Wow. You know, it's always meeting someone who knows someone who can help you out, which is one of the reasons why you always want to get out and meet new people and talk to people. But I have been the Carolina Hurricanes corporate real estate sponsor since 2006. And when Raleigh had the all-star event come to our city, which will probably never happen again in my lifetime, this was a huge event for our city, and I attended everything that they had. And I decided that I was going to take pictures of myself with a Carolina Hurricanes jersey and any person I met with another jersey. And so people were from Canada, from all over the United States, wearing their team pride. And I would go up and take a picture. So I walk up to this guy, and I'm sorry, this is a long story, but I walk up to this guy wearing a Dallas Stars jersey, and um, I take a picture with him, and I find out that he was just hired by NBC. And we talked a little bit, and he called me a few days later and said, hey, we've got this show I think you would be great on. And, you know, he just liked me because of hockey, and the next thing I know, I'm on this show, and I've been on it for many years, and... You know, I don't see myself ever leaving. I mean, it's just, um, it's affordable and it's great exposure. 
So it was all through the Carolina hurricanes, just having some fun and meeting people. You said it's affordable. Do you have to pay to be the expert on that show? I did. Well, the first year I didn't. Actually, probably the first two years I didn't, but I didn't own the video. So I wanted to own the video because I was paying lots of money to make videos to send out to my clients and I could see how valuable it would be if I could get my hands on those three to four minute segments. And so I I do pay for that, but I own the video. And then when you send that out to your list, it's a video of you sitting in the TV station? It is. With their name behind you? Mm -hmm. Being interviewed. So that gives you a lot of a A lot of credibility. (laughs) Sorry, my fault. So that gives you a lot of authority, a lot of credibility. You know, I think it's always better when you have someone interviewing you or giving a testimony about you rather than you telling your own story. Yes, absolutely. How long are those little segments? You know, they're three to four minutes. And you don't want your videos to be long. People are going to sit there and watch you for 10 minutes. They've got to be pretty short. You know, the other thing about Carolina Hurricanes, and, you know, I don't know if your listeners have the ability to partner up with some sort of professional or well-respected sports organization in their area, but I chose the Carolina Hurricanes. Then we've got some big colleges, but I would never want to choose one college because you alienate two-thirds of the rest of the market who loves the other colleges. So be careful of that. But with Carolina Hurricanes, I actually do an in-game promotion at every game. And so in front of 19,000 people, I stand in front of them, advertise one of the houses that I have for sale, and I've incorporated the house into the actual game. So we do photo hunt, which is the interior of one of my home with some changes. We do drive home, which is a race. And we always have children playing the games. And when they win, well, they always win. We can't let kids lose. But anyway, they win a jersey, but the jersey on the back has our logo on it. And I've been doing this for so long that when I go to a game, I see people all the time wearing my jerseys, which is super cool. But the Carolina Hurricanes has just been amazing for me because obviously I get to work with the players and the coaches. But I get it to stand in front of the fans, and it's just, you know, having them personally endorse me as the number one agent in the Southeast is a very good thing. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's building an amazing amount of goodwill. And the seller that you're promoting during that game has got to be ecstatic. Oh, yes. And I try to get them to come to the game, for sure. They're not all hockey fans, but a lot of times, you know, they are and they want to be there. So someone who doesn't have that in yet, they, they don't have a TV spot or something of that caliber, but they want to do these video emails. How did you do it before you got in with the the TV spot? Were you doing it in your office on a webcam or or how did you do the video before? You know, I have done it in my office, also at my home, and I've gone into a studio. It's not very hard. It's not. I mean, you can use your iPhone if you wanted and record a video and upload it. The quality is so good. So I would just start somewhere. And I also would, once you do a video, I would watch it several times to learn what to do with your eye movement and your hands, your stance. You'll learn so much by watching yourself on video and you'll just keep getting better and better and better. Where do you upload these videos to? So they first go to YouTube. And since, you know, I think what is YouTube gets a million videos a minute or some crazy number, nobody's really going to find it probably on YouTube. But we have a Raleigh Real Estate channel on YouTube that we upload there. And then we send it out, as I've mentioned, to our database. We also post it on Facebook and get our team to share. We put it on Twitter. You know, we use it in multiple ways and we embed it into our website, of course. 
when you send it by email, you're not sending the video. You're sending a link back to the YouTube video. Well, I don't do it, first of all. Uh, I learned a long time ago there's only so many things I'm good at. I hire people that are smarter than me. I know that it, it is uploaded on YouTube before they ever send it. And I use eye contact and I use Dacno Marketing. So when Dacno loads it up, it does show the very beginning of the video. So they click on the screen or they can click on the link to receive it. Good. So it probably has a picture of it in the email itself. And if they click on that, then it opens up the video and it starts playing. It's a, it's a link back to the player. That's fantastic. That's a great idea. Thank you. You also mentioned that you send out postcards quarterly. Well, the postcards are the promotion of the events, right? It is. I mean, every once in a while, we'll send out a postcard or, or a letter that's just about business, but most of the time, it's not. It's worked into, we're inviting you to this fun thing to do, or we're letting you know about something that maybe will help protect your home value. And there's a request, of course, to keep us in mind for their friends and family. So we don't do the things like mail to every month a postcard or send them calendars or magnets. You know, we don't, I did that years ago. I don't do that anymore. I really want to get face-to-face with my clients every chance I can get. And the other thing that happens is because I am a team and I have buyer agents, every event that I have gives them an opportunity to call all their buyer clients and talk with them and invite them to the event. So that's part of it too. You know, it's a whole system of getting in front of them, touching them several different ways. Um, sometimes your your agents, even maybe yourself as you're listening, you just feel awkward calling your past clients. You don't know what to say to them. You don't want to always call and ask for business. So this has just been a, a great way for us to reach out, feel good about calling them, giving them something, learning more about what's going on in their life, and then hopefully it turns into business or a referral as well. You know, the other thing I'd like to say about marketing, because I realize that some of your listeners probably don't have the marketing budget that I do to sign up with a professional hockey team or be on television or whatever. One thing I would really strongly advise people to invest in is a moving van. If you have a place to park a moving van at your office, for the amount of money that you spend per month to purchase a moving van and the exposure that it's going to bring and the goodwill that it's going to bring from allowing your clients to use it for the rest of their life anytime for free or donating it to charities, to me, that's the best money you can spend. I mean, obviously, you need a great website. But after that, I would buy a moving van. It's a moving billboard. It's sitting at your office, but it's also moving around town as a billboard for you. That's exactly right. And people will say, I see you everywhere. Now, I have two moving vans. I have a delivery van where my person who puts up signs and you know has all the signs in the delivery van that he runs around and does vacant home checks and puts out sold signs and for sale signs and picks them up, stores them all in this van. So we're getting lots of advertising from that. Then I have a passenger van that my buyer agents and I use when we're touring our new listings. And then we have a PT cruiser that our staff uses anytime they're running errands or going out to shoot pictures or going to a, a closing. So we do have a lot of vehicles that I've just continued to add to the fleet because the advertising is amazing. But everybody loves the moving bands. You mentioned that the buyer agents are making calls to all their current clients during these events and inviting them. Does anybody call the overall database, the the entire 6,000 or or maybe a subset of the 6,000 to invite them to these events? 
I would love to say that someone sits down and dials 6,000 times and invites them, but no, they don't. The subset would really be calling our raving fans and having the buyer agents call through their buyers because they're looking for a great reason to touch them. We do have a, a buyer action plan where we follow up with our closed buyers after each closing, but these events just really help to allow the buyer agents to have something of value to give to them when they call. You know, on these events, we mentioned kind of what happens during each event. Could you give us maybe some cost parameters for each event? For instance, the movie day, you said you can hit up to about 350 people, 350 seats. How much is that costing you to put on that event? So the theater is about $3,500. And then there's the cost of the postcards that go out. And I don't usually count the cost of postcards against an event because I feel like I have to touch them whether I'm having an event or not. And I'm not saying that I don't put it in the budget or think about it, but if, if you said, well, I can send a postcard and maybe it's $2,000 to send a postcard to everyone in my database. If you're doing that 12 times a year with, you know, spring forward your clock or fall back the clock in the, in the winter, you're going to do that anyway. You're going to send them something anyway. So we just tag on an event to that postcard. So about 3500 now. Pies this year, we were well over $6,000 in pies. The first year we did Pie Day, I think we gave out 100 and every year it just doubles now. It's gotten to be, it's gotten to be a very expensive event, although it's, that's not my most expensive event. My most expensive was when I used to have parties in my home until they got so out of control because there were so many people. <laughs> I had to stop that and find something else like a park. What would you do with those parties in your home? Why were they so elaborate? What was going on? Because every year I had to outdo myself. And so between all, we had a wine tasting and, you know, so between all the wine and a limo that picked them up and circled the neighborhood and dropped them off. And we had an Italian gentleman that played our piano. So we had live music. One year we had the hopper there singing carols on the outside as they walked in. Between the coat check, person running that station, all the entertainment, all the food, the caterers, it got to be crazy. That last one I had was $30,000 is what I had an expense for that party. It was beautiful. It was elegant. I had six trees. I mean, it was just gorgeous, but it was, it was way over the top. And I get more <laughs> business. <laughs> Honestly, I get more business from giving out pies than I ever did the big parties in my home. Oh, wow. So you might have had to stop yourself. You were probably enjoying those parties so much that you probably had to reevaluate it on a business perspective. I think you have to do that with everything. You know, you, you plan an event, you look at the cost, you measure how much of a response you receive from that event. And if, if it's not returning some dollars to you, why would you want to continue to do it? I've got to assume that all these events are returning your investment back to you or you wouldn't continue them. That's right. That's for sure. During these events, are you getting business? Are referrals coming in during the event or immediately after something that you could gauge the success of the event as far as a a business lead generation? Yeah, well, the last event we had was Santa Claus taking pictures. We had that the Saturday before Christmas. It was towards the end of the holiday. And we literally had two people get a picture and walk in because they wanted to buy a house. We also had a person that was behind us come in because they wanted to sell a house. So we actually had real business that took place right then on the spot. Uh, And that happens occasionally. Most of the time, it's just a referral later on because you've become top of mind. They appreciate, you know, you doing something for their family. Anytime you can touch kids, of course, that's a a good thing. And um, 
just the, the promotion that happens afterwards where people are sharing the event or thanking you on Facebook. Besides giving them a 5 by 7 picture with our logo on it, we also emailed them the picture so they could forward it on to their family members. So, you know, we know we got really deep legs with the things that we're doing. Yeah, I've noticed that you really do try to add additional benefits to the past client, but also business benefits to you. For instance, emailing out that picture, that means you have to have their email address, and I assume you ask for an updated email address at that time. We did. When they checked in, we just double-checked to make sure that the email was correct that we had on file and updated it if we needed to. You know, the other thing I failed to mention with all of this is we also will do a press release on every event that we do. Where does that press release go? So I've hired an individual, and he submits it to the Triangle Business Journal, the News and Observer, several of the magazines. Um, I think he's got about 12 places that he sends it to online as well. Are these press releases done before or after the event? If it's something where we're inviting the community, we do it before. If it's something that's more closed just for us, we do it afterwards. The Shred Day, sounds like you have a lot of people show up. How much is that costing you? So we rent the truck, and it's around $750. It's here for four hours, and we shredded over 10,000 pounds of paper. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much paper they shred. It's all the same cost. That's great. So that's one of your least expensive events, and yet it sounds like it's one of your biggest turnouts. It is a great turnout. We also invite the community around us. So near my office is a shopping center, and a lot of businesses are in this general area. So we have these big flags that we put out in the yard that says, you know, free shredding event and the time and what days. And we go around and give flyers to the different businesses and ask them to post to invite the neighbors. So we really do try to open it up to the community to meet more people. And when people come that are not our clients, they're like, wow, you do so much for everybody. And we let charities use our moving vans. And it seems like I always not only meet people, I know somebody that they know. I mean, it just continues to help build that relationship. On these events, do you have your vendors participate? Sometimes I do. Most of the time I don't because I don't really want a bunch of vendors sitting up at their booth trying to sell something. But I, I do invite my vendors to everything. I also hold a private party in my home for the vendors at Christmas times just so that they can network with each other. So that's sort of a whole different target market that I go after with the vendors. And I know a lot of people have parties and they may get the vendors to help pay for some of these things, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I just, I don't, I'm just very protective of my database. Do you make an effort to call your database, say, once a year or multiple times a year? If so, when? And how does that conversation go? So, well, first of all, I'm a team. And so I spend most of my time rainmaking for them, bringing in new business, and also leading them and training them. So that database is, I won't say that 100% of the database is called, but it's usually not me personally calling. I call a few of my you know, friends and, and whatever, but it's usually the agents on my team that are making those calls, not, not me personally. I'm the CEO. I'm running this company and running this team, so I'm not on the phone talking very much to my clients like I used to be. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. 
open Google and search RealG TV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Well, Linda, it sounds like you're pulling back a little bit out of the day-to-day. You're working more of the operational side from above to make sure that everything is happening and systems are in place. Did I get that right? Are you pulling back out of driving buyers around and going to sellers' houses? Is that your goal? I'm definitely pulling back from having buyers in my car and going to sellers' houses. I am not pulling back from the business of real estate. I probably work more hours than anybody on my team because I love what I do and I really want to grow them. And when someone comes to work for me, we have a culture here and we have a mission statement, we have core values. But for me, when someone joins my team, I want them to grow professionally, which means I need to train them and I want them to grow personally. And so I spend a lot of time with my team members making sure that they are successful. And the best thing that I can do for my team members is to bring in new business and let them do what they do best, which is to manage it, follow up, cultivate it, love it. I haven't had a a buyer in my car since 2001. I just learned right away that it just made no sense to haul buyers around because it's not the highest and best use of my time. So for many years, I have been the main listing agent for the team and at the same time going to hockey games, being on television, networking, trying to you know, create new advertising. I have so many things going on that I learned about two years ago that it would be a whole lot better for me to have a listing partner, which I incorporated, and he does a great job. And this year, I just hired another one. So my goal is to only list property, but only list property from agents who refer people to me. If someone just absolutely has to have me, of course, I'll work with them. But my listing partners do really a better job because they're totally dedicated to listings where I have so many things going on that I'm I'm finding it to be very successful to get more diversified in that way and not hold on so much to the business. And I know a lot of people listening to that is probably going, are you crazy? How do you let go? I mean, your listings are your lifeline. But if you train people and you teach them to be as good as you are or better, that's what a leader should do. You don't have to worry about how it's handled. They're going to follow your systems. They're going to do a great job at pricing. You're going to be there to help them along the way. And it's the fastest way to grow. And we have huge goals this year. We created the LCT 500. And we got a little racetrack with where we're going with our our goals. And and we're going to do 500 sales this year is our plan. I can't do that sitting in a two-hour listing appointment. And by the way, I stopped going to houses on listings a long time ago as well. They come to the office for a first consultation, and then we go to the house with stagers, appraisers, and marketing team. So I even have a totally different system for listing property. You're doing these listings in your office. You said it's kind of a pre-listing. How much time do you take in that interview or that appointment in the office? Well, I'm usually with them an hour and a half to two hours especially if they hire me right there on the spot. By the time we get paperwork done, we're usually at least an hour and a half or two hours. Sometimes it's only an hour, and then we take the next step from there. But I can tell you, and you know, this is probably something I'm not going to be able to teach or train or convince somebody in a very short period of time, but I have a whole class that I teach on that. And you end up separating yourself from your competition because in my office, we have a big screen and a PowerPoint and a beautiful room that we do our consultations in. I mean, it's just so professional and they get so much more information that most everyone I meet with, I will list them and I usually list them right there in the office even before I've seen the home. We've been doing that for six years now. And when our clients come in, 
they're always so wowed by what we teach them, what we show them, how informed they are when they walk out the door. I have people that tell me that they've sold seven or ten houses and never had anybody do what we just did for them. So, you know, it works. But again, it's got to be a part of your system that you develop and that takes some time and some confidence. You said that after that appointment, after they've hired you, I think you said that at that point you send out stagers and marketers to their home. Are those team members, are you going out to their home after that, or does someone on the team go? So in my listing department, I have my manager who's had a license for over 20 years and has worked for me for 13. And she's the one that goes out and gets all the marketing together. We also have a photographer that goes out. We even bought a drone this year, which we're calling an air cam, so we do that with selective houses. And then I do send an appraiser out on every one of my listings. We need measurements here in Raleigh. That's something that we use. If I want to get a full appraisal, let's just say that it's a different type of property. It's not your cookie-cutter townhome or it's not your national builder that built the same floor plan 10 times in the same neighborhood. You know, those you can do in your sleep. You know where they're going to price within probably 5%. But if it's a custom-built home, if it's a luxury home, I may have it appraised or I may set up a back-to-back meeting where I go out for 15 minutes, walk through their home, and then they come into the, the office to meet with me. But most of the time, that's rare, most of the time they meet with me in the office, we list them based on why they hiring a realtor in the first place. They're hiring a realtor that has market knowledge, that has marketing that will reach more buyers, that knows how to negotiate, knows how to problem solve. And that's all experience. So they don't make a decision on price. They make a decision first on who they want to represent them. And so that's easy to get them to do right there in the office. Hey, I'm sold on you. Yep, I want you to work for me. Great. Then the next step is, We'll have our stager go out and give you tips on how to get your home in top showing conditions so that you sell for the highest price possible. We'll send our appraiser out. We'll send our marketing team out. And if you already know what price we're going to list that home at, if it is more of a custom home, we will do a pricing call or sometimes a meeting right before we launch the house. But I think so many realtors make the mistake and they focus their whole presentation on price. Not that price is not important. It's very, very important. But the first decision that someone has to, has to make is, who do I want to represent me? And that has nothing to do with the price, or it shouldn't have anything to do with the price. You're in trouble if it does. In the preliminary meeting, do you have them sign a listing agreement without a sales price? I do, all the time. So Linda, in this initial listing interview that's happening in your office, it sounds like you are not putting the price in the listing agreement. Is that true? You know, only if I know for sure what the price is. So if it's a townhome community, cookie cutter, townhome community, or national builder, what's the same floor plan, it's pretty easy to figure out where you're going to price it based on what's sold in the past and what the current competition is. But if it's a custom-built home or if it's in a high price where you have features that are unique, I'm definitely not going to price it until I get more information. What do you do in that listing agreement when you're leaving that blank? Do you reference somewhere else how that's going to be handled? I do. Yeah, I I show them a timeline on what's going to happen as we get ready and when we're going to talk again to finalize the price. And then once we talk on the phone or in person, if it's in person, but usually it's by phone, they will finalize the price and I have them send me an email so I have documentation that that was the price they chose. So that's how you get proof that you all agreed on a certain price is they send you an email saying, yep, I want to list it at 372000 Yes, or I'll send the email to them and just ask them to confirm. What I'd like to find out about now is your walk-ins. You said you're getting a lot of walk-in business. How are you facilitating that? How's that happening? 
We have a great location, and we have a sign that we put out every day that says Expert Available Now. And I think because we have that sign, originally we had walk-in welcomes, but we could be a nail salon or whatever, so we changed it to Expert Available Now. But I think because people know my brand and they also see that sign that says basically you can walk in with an appointment that it happens. And we probably get at least one walk-in every other day. Some will be for listings. Some will be interested in buying a home. And I always have an agent ready to meet with people when they walk in. You have a floor time for the agents. I do. We have three shifts a day. And and we just started the third shift, actually, and I'll tell you why, and it will make sense. But from 9 o'clock in the morning until 1.30, the buyer agent that is on my team is on opportunity time, and anything that comes in during that window of time belongs to that agent. So if it's an email inquiry, if it's a phone call into the office, that is their time to build their pipeline and their book of business to cultivate. From 1.30 until 6, I have the second realtor that comes in, and then we just started a third shift because one of the problems that we have in real estate is we have a a consumer that really expects immediate attention. And yet, because of the nature of our business, we're out showing property, we're home having dinner with our family, we're kind of ignoring our business. So we discovered that we had nine hours a day that were beautifully covered with a professionally dressed agent ready to handle anything and everything, and 15 hours a day in which the office was closed and everything sat until the next day. And so all the research says that's, that's not a good thing to do. That's not how you're going to grow your business with so much of consumers today expecting immediate. You know, we got a chat on our website. We've got all these things trying to get back to people. And then we have this lag time. So now we do take the phones as well as being able to go into the, the website and, and pull off the leads. So we have a third shift as well. So I have a dress code. So when people are in the office, they're dressed, they're ready for business. And if the walk-in comes in during their shift, that is their walk-in to, to take care of. You also get a large amount of business from internet leads. Describe what you're doing on the internet lead front. Well, the first thing is we got a website in 1998, so it's been out there a long time. If you go to lindacraft.com, you will see that it has a tremendous amount of information on it. There's videos for everything from buying a home to why you need a buyer agent to how to get your home ready to go on the market and sell for top dollar. There's obviously a great IDX search feature on it. It's just an easy website to use. And we do some pay-per-click. We have 7,200 search terms. We have 190 domains altogether. We have several websites, but lendacraft.com is our main one. You'll find that a lot of our traffic is organic. And it's because of content. It's because of what we've done over the years, the money we poured in it to keep it up to date. Obviously, it's changed. I can't even begin to tell you how many times since 1998 with the look and the feel. We do a lot of things behind the scene to support lendacraft.com from blogging to posting our videos. You know, YouTube and Google are connected. And you know, so there's a lot of things behind the scenes that we're doing as well. But most of it is all driven by organic search engine people finding us just because we've got so much content that they will pull from. And obviously, you have a really smart person that knows how to do all those things, those hyperlinks and their, you know, this and that. We also do retargeting campaigns so that if someone comes to our website, we drop cookies on their browser and follow them around with some display ads that we pay-per-click if they click on those. So we're just doing a lot of things. And we're, these are things that I certainly don't know how to do. I've hired someone really brilliant to do it, and that's Dacno Marketing. They just they make me a lot of money. How do you spell that? Dacno? 
D-A-K-N-O, DACNOMarketing.com. All they do is real estate sites. But the cool thing about DACNO is you own your site. Like, I don't pay for any internet leads. I mean, every day I get somebody wanting to sell me internet leads. And there's so many people that sign up for that. They're paying every month for these internet leads that probably aren't that good to begin with. And you're paying for them with a company that they advertise saying, I'm going to make you number one on the search engine, where they can't make everybody number one. So that should already be a red flag. And if you stop writing that check every month, you own nothing. So my advice is get a website, spend some money on it, keep spending money on it so that you own the leads, you own the site. You don't, it's just, it's crazy to me how many people spend thousands of dollars every month for, I mean, I don't want to say any names and hurt any feelings out there, but I think you know who I'm talking about. I mean, that's a lot of money and you don't own it. You don't own it. So you're not driving traffic to your site with, say, pay-per-click campaigns. You've hired this company to improve your site so that the SEO, the search engine optimization is occurring and people and leads are being attracted to your site because of the content in it. That's correct. And DACNO is your lead on that. They've driven this for you, this improvement of your website. Yes, and it's not going to happen overnight. So, you know, just so people know, a lot of people think they're going to get a website, they're going to immediately get leads from it. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, Google is the one that decides how they're going to rank you. You have to have all the content that that Google wants. And if Google sees that your site has value, they're going to automatically rank you. Do you pay a fee, the DACNO, say a monthly fee to, to maintain your site? I do. And I also pay him a retainer. I'm on a call with him every week for one hour with all of our marketing and what we're going to do. So marketing is anything from an email blast with eye contact to what we're doing on our website to the app that we're rolling out. So we have a one-hour weekly call to continue to develop that. And I think that's another way that people don't get the value out of their website. They'll pay someone to design a site, they'll get it up and running, and then that person that sold you that site is gone, and you're just waiting for traffic to come in. And it's not going to happen unless you have somebody that's going to teach you how to create that traffic. You know, like when we blog, Dacno looks at our blog. He has a whole training thing on how to blog so that you get SEO from it. And I don't want to say that we're not doing any pay-per-click. We are doing some, but nothing like we used to. Most of everything now is organic. You'll see LinkedIn. You'll see YouTube. You know, we're just constantly pushing it out. I'm also very fortunate because I'm married to a man where his trademark is the Internet Doctor, Internet DR. And he has a book coming out this spring on social media. So I do have smart people on my team. I'm married to a brilliant man, and we've hired Dacno Marketing. So you put that all together, and <laughs> we've got a great website. <laughs> you can't lose. That's great. I can't lose. <laughs> do you mind sharing with us? You're getting this real intensive marketing advice consultation on an ongoing basis. Could you tell us how much something like that costs? The uh, internet, my total package for internet, from hosting all the websites to the pay-per-click that we do to our weekly call and all the all that they implement and our bank of hours that we get, we spend about listen a little bit less than three thousand a month on internet marketing. So that's about thirty-six thousand a year. You had a lot of closings from that source, didn't you? Looks like you had about seventy-eight closings last year from that source, so that easily paid for the cost of it. 
Yeah, oh, it's such a moneymaker. And, you know, every day realtors are approached with all these people that are, are going to help their website get optimized or they're going to sell them some sort of print advertising you know, you, you just have so many ways to spend money in this business. So you've got to track every dollar you spend and see what kind of return you have. But I, I can tell you hands down, investing in your past clients, spending money on internet on something you own, not something you're renting, which is what's, what you're doing when you pay a monthly retainer to be number one with whomever. You know, ever, you're not really number one, but <laughs> wherever they put you. Um, and a moving van. I mean, that is going to pay you back. You cannot lose. A moving van internet, past clients, that's your whole book of business. You just can't lose with that. You mentioned that your husband, Internet Doctor, is going to bring out a book. What's the name of the book? It's got social mediology, and it breaks down each one of the different platforms that we have that we can use, and it teaches you how to get business without spending a dime. Because you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, they all, they all have a different consumer relationship based on how you're supposed to promote yourself and how you're supposed to engage. And so each one of them is broken down in things that you can do, what you should not do, what you should avoid, but more importantly, the psychology behind why it works and how to work it. And that's the piece that's missing. You've got all kinds of people talking about social media and what you can do on it, but nobody's really talking about the consumer and psychology and how to bring it together. So it's a great book. It'll be out soon. Everybody needs one or two. (laughs) No plug for my husband. And they can find that on Amazon, or where would they go look for it? It will be on Amazon. It's going to be hardback, so they'll be able to find it in the bookstores as well. You mentioned earlier that you're getting a lot of business from sign calls, and you're using audio tours. What is that all about? So the audio tour is a call capture system. We use Arch Telecom. And it's an 800 number where the consumer will dial the 800 number, put in the code that you've assigned to your listing, and immediately capture their phone number, including mobile. And that shows up on, on our computer at the office where I have a trained salesperson sitting in front of it so that we can respond immediately to it with a phone call back. And we know by the code number where they saw the home advertised. So we know if they were in the front of the house when they called, if they were on an internet site, and which one. We also use the back of our flyer. And we have a different code on the back of our flyer for our other listings. And so that will help us to know what price range they're in. We create hundreds of audio tours. Sometimes they're nosy neighbors, but obviously they're going to sell at some point in time. A lot of times they're just people that are driving, still driving neighborhoods, burning up gas, which I can't imagine, looking at houses and they're pulling those flyers. We get a lot of opportunities with those. This system also is a database. So let's say that you have a home in a neighborhood that you sell and you list another one. You can pull that database of everybody who listened to the previous audio tour and call them back, or you can send them a voice message back to all of them at the same time, a pre-recorded message. So there's many ways that you can use those, from creating buyers to tracking advertising to promoting your new listing. And of course, when you tell your seller you're going to do that, they think you're brilliant, which I guess you are. We use a host psychology with our flyers, too. So when I say audio tour, this is not a sign that we attach. It's literally a number that is on our flyer that they're going to pull out. And I know some people have gotten away from flyers, I think, primarily because they don't want the hassle of filling up the boxes and delivering more whenever you're out. But we get so many people that call us from flyers, and we capture so many numbers front and back that we find that the flyers work really well for us. And we've tried it both ways, and this is where we get the most. If I heard correctly, You're also putting this 800K 
capture number on the internet site and people are calling from the internet site. Is that true? You know, we don't get very many from the internet because they have so much information. But we do get some from Craigslist because we use that as well. It's free. You might as well use it. I mean, it all has its issues with bootlegging your listing and offering it for rent at you know ungodly amounts. But <laughs> other than that, Craigslist is pretty good. Um, but yeah, we use it there a lot. Linda, when you have these Arch Telecom, these audio tours, you said something about the back and the front. I got a little confused. Could you help straighten that out for me? Yes. So all my sellers, I share with them a picture of the flyer that we're going to put in their yard. And I'll let them know that we don't put anything on a flyer that a buyer can reject because marketing is about pulling the buyer into you, about giving them something that gets their attention, that attracts them, that makes them want to make that call. So we don't use any color because a buyer could reject the kitchen cabinet color, the carpet color, the paint color. They're all black and white. And we don't put any numbers on the flyer because the buyer will reject the number. They'll reject square footage, age of the house, bedroom count. So why put something on a flyer they can reject? And so the reason they pull the flyer is because they really want the price. But we don't put the price on our flyer because that is a number. And usually the number is wrong, which would be the end of the opportunity. So on our flyer, it says at the top, the DOS 800 number to get more information in the price. They call the number and their number will pop up with the house they called on and the ad source too, which meant they were on the front of the flyer. On the back of the flyer, we put homes from 75000 to over a million and we hit every price bracket that a buyer shops in. Now, most of the time, buyers are shopping in increments of 25000 and as you get up in price, fifty. So we have a directory of prices. We have a great little blurb about this fabulous home that they can buy for 250000 or 500 or whatever with a code to call to get more information. And the code ends in three. So my buyer agents are sitting in front of the computer. An audio tour pops up, and it's a two. We know that they just called on this house. We know that they want a price. And let's say the price is 500000 on that property. If they flip over in the back and they call on a home that's 250000 their same phone number is going to pop up with the new ad source ending in three, which tells my buyer agent what price range they're in before they ever call them back. And how sell my sellers on letting me advertise the rest of my listings on the back of their flyer and I share with them how I don't want to show your house to anybody that can't afford it. And sometimes on a sign call, people will insist that we show them the property, even though we try to qualify them to make sure that they have the money and, or the credit to be able to buy a home. We get out there, we waste your time and ours, we show a property and find out they have a house to sell, they were in this price range, they were waiting for some inheritance, it's probably never going to come in. And so when I tell my seller that we use the back of the flyer as a way to pre-qualify to make sure that they're in the price range, they think I'm just amazingly smart because, duh, how good is that for them? And but what it does, it does pre-qualify them, that is the truth, but it also ends up creating more audio tours for us because they may pull the flyer and not call on the font. They just may read something and not be interested in the home or, or see the picture and decide they don't like the layout of whatever. I don't, I don't have a lot of pictures either. I think these people that put all kinds of pictures all over the flyer, it makes their seller happy, but it's going to eliminate that property. Because you know a buyer is going to see something they don't like. And if they don't like what they see in that picture, they're not going to call us. I only have two pictures, front of the house and something very neutral on the inside. But let's say they don't call on the front, but maybe they'll still call on the back. And so we just still have the opportunity to talk to more buyers and match them with a home that one meets their needs. 
I like how you're going through your flyer and explaining it to the seller, uh, this elimination concept that people are screening out and trying to eliminate their house. And that's why you're limiting the number of photos. You're limiting the number of information. You're doing it in black and white, which also is more cost-effective for you to do it in black and white and, and not put the price on there so you wouldn't have to change the flyer out if you had a price reduction or a change. So there's a lot of benefits on all sides of this, and you're also generating a lot of leads. Correct. Would you have almost 50 closings from it last year? Yes. So it was worthwhile. Yeah, and the other thing for a realtor, when you get a call on a sign, and you've got your office number or you've got your cell phone and they call you, they always want the price. And when you tell them the price, they're going to hang up pretty fast if it's wrong. And so as a realtor, we're just always trying to figure out how to dialogue with that person, create that great impression, give them a talk with us, learn more about them. You have no way really of following up with them unless they happen to call in on your cell phone and you capture their number. But when you do an audio tour, you have their information. You've captured it, which means you can call them back when there's a price reduction. You can call them back when you list something else new in the neighborhood. I mean, it's, it really is a great system, and it's not very expensive. I think we spend maybe $250 a month for this audio tour system, and many people will get a lender or somebody to pay for it as well. So it's not expensive. Linda, I'm going to shift gears, and I'm going to go back to talking about your team. You started to bring your team up earlier, but let's now uh, map out the team for everybody. Could you give us a big picture overview by walking down a list of all the people on your team, and we're looking for positions and titles and what each position is doing? Sure. So I have a listing manager that's been with me 13 years, licensed for over 20. Once I list the property, she's going to pick up the file and pretty much take it from there. She's going to order the stager, the appraiser, arrange for the photographs. She does take a lot of the photos herself, but if we're doing any kind of aerial photo, we have someone else that does that for us. She will orchestrate all the communication and activate the listing, working with the seller, of course, to get that activated. I also have a buyer closing manager, and I have a seller closing manager. One thing we offer here is exclusive representation. So that's why I have a buyer agent team that doesn't list property. They only represent buyers. And of course, I can say as well that I don't work with buyers. I only represent sellers. And so we have an individual that specializes in sellers on the closing manager and also one for buyers. Because if you think about it, it's two different transactions. How that closing manager is going to work with the seller and what those goals are totally different than a buyer closing manager. Then I have a marketing manager that does all the social media marketing, helps with postcard mailing, database management, anything that we're doing in marketing, special events, that's what she does. A director of first impressions is the person who greets you when you walk into the door at Linda Crafton Team. Her responsibility is obviously to make everyone warm and welcome, but she also helps me in marketing. And really, director of first impressions is all about making sure everything we do gives a good first impression. So she's kind of our, our eyes and ears for everything that we're doing. I'll give you an example. I mentioned earlier that I have all these wrapped vehicles. She noticed the other day that I was peeling on the PT Cruiser when she brought it to my attention and thought we needed to get it rewrapped. And I was like, that is director of first impressions because you're right. It is not making a good first impression. I also have a short sale manager. I mentioned to you earlier that several years ago, we started a whole division for short sales. About 20% of our market short sales. And so he takes everything from the time it goes under contract 
all the way through with the lenders, with the attorneys, everything that we need, and, and he's just dedicated a short self. I have a client care specialist that drives one of our wrap vehicles. He's the person that's going to put up signs, do vacant home checks, and he also is the one who does our air cam photography. He's a very, very smart young man. Of course, I have an accounting manager because, unfortunately, we have bills to pay and we have agents to pay. So she takes care of not only all of the team business, but she also does my personal accounting, my husband's accounting, and all of our rental properties. So it's a full-time position for us. Myself and two seller specialists is what we have right now. And then I have eight buyer agents that are on my team. I had six last year. I just grew to two more because it's important to me to you know, get those numbers up this year and we've got the volume to be able to handle it. And then, of course, me, I'm the rainmaker. I'm the, I do do some listings, but mostly what I'm doing now is really growing my team, managing my team, making sure they have all the tools and all the talent to cultivate their business and, and you know, build, build themselves, build their business, build professionally. So I'm, I'm out meeting people and doing as many speaking engagements, going to a lot of charity events, just trying to get out and build those relationships to bring them back home. Are all the people on your team licensed? Everybody is licensed, yes. When you're looking for people to add to your team, do you look for experienced people or inexperienced people? So if it's a buyer agent, I just profile all of them and I'm looking for someone that is a, a DI. If I'm looking for a staff person, I want a high SC, someone who's very detailed and loyal and that sort of thing. Buyer agents, I like to have about one year experience. I have hired some talent that's only had eight months, but usually I want at least one year, but I don't want a lot of years because by then they're already set in their ways and you're not going to teach them new things. And I look for behaviors. I look for behaviors. A successful realtor is going to have behaviors that every successful realtor will have. And so a lot of people will hire someone because they're nice, but if they don't have the behaviors where they're going to follow up and have great customer skills and have the discipline to get up and work when you don't feel like it, they're never going to be successful. So I really look for behavior. I know a lot of times people will say I'm looking for talent, but you know, talent can be overrated. You, you can meet the nicest person in the world that's so outgoing and think you'd make a wonderful agent, but if they don't have the behavior that will follow up and face rejection and continue to prospect... <laughs> They're not going to be successful unless you just hand them someone that wants to buy. So it's really important who you hire. As far as my administrative team, if it's a position like a closing manager or a listing department, they have to have they have to have talent. I'm not going to train someone from the ground up. If it's someone marketing and they have great marketing skills but they don't know real estate, I can teach them real estate and how to incorporate that. So they don't need as much experience in real estate. You mentioned the buyer agents, you're looking for this behavior. How do you test for that? I don't know that you really test for it. We do a disk profile test, which tells you a lot about how motivated and how they communicate. But behaviors really is it's a lot of you know, questioning them, what they've done in the past, how they've gotten their business, how they follow up, how, how many times they follow up, what their beliefs are, what their attitudes are. And, and honestly, my husband helps me a lot with that because he's got a psychology degree and he's a consumer psychologist. So, you know, he's amazing with saying this is going to be a go-getter. But a lot of it is just attitude. You know, you can just, if you ask enough questions and you interview enough, by the way, I never hire anybody on the first interview. They're going to interview at least three times and my whole team is going to interview them. I'm going to get feedback from everybody. 
it's a system for hiring someone. My buyer so I'll give you an example. When, when they're in a group interview, I had one one time say, because we closed at 6 o'clock, and this was before we started taking home third shift. And he, he says to this young lady that we're thinking about hiring, I want to know what you would do if it's Saturday night, it's quarter till 6, and you get a call and somebody wants to say property, but you were planning to go to dinner with your husband. What would you do in a situation like that? And she smiled and she said, I think I'm going to be showing your listing. <laughs> and we went, you're hired. No, we didn't say that. But it was like, that's what we want to hear. You know, if there's any hesitation, well, you know, family's important and the family is important. But, <laughs> but you just kind of look for those clues. You know, you, you've been in the business for a year and you've sold six houses. Where did those leads come from? What have you done to generate leads? And you mentioned to me that you had a phone call when you were on phone duty at your other company. What was your follow-up process after you received that call? You know, if they don't have a system in place where I called this many times or I sent these emails or I knocked on their door, they're not telling you what they did to follow up. They didn't follow up. And that's the clue, right? It's a clue. Well, I called them and I sent them an email, right? That's what you Well, I called them back and I sent them an email. Really? <laughs> well, that's not the behavior that's going to make you a superstar. You don't try to train that behavior in. You're looking for it to be there already. You can't train that behavior. That's why I don't hire someone who's been in the business 10 years. They haven't made it 10 years on their own. They're not going to make it for me either because they still have to work. And a lot of work is follow-up. They've been in the business 10 years and they're not doing much business is because they did not take care of their past clients. And they've actually sold some business and they didn't cultivate a referral business out of their past clients they don't have the behaviors. Because when they come on board with me, they're going to hear that they're going to call the best client 24 hours after closing, 48, 72, one week, two weeks, 30 days, and then every event, a holiday and birthday. I mean, that's our system. Well, if they're not doing it now and the business they've been doing on their own for five or 10 years, they are not going to do it when they come to work for Linda Craft either. So that's what I'm looking for, that kind of commitment. Common question for people who are running teams or thinking about starting up a team is compensation. Could you walk us through how you're compensating, let's say, your buyer specialist? The buyer specialist, when they first joined me, and I am 100% company because I own my company, they will receive 40%, they'll move to 45, and they'll go to 50. After they close 30 signs, they'll go up 5%, 40 slides, another 5 and 50, another five. So their highest is 65%, and that's only for one or two transactions a year. They start over the next year at 50. That's the highest they really pay is 50. Unless they're doing high volume, you know, then they get rewarded with a little bit extra. And one of the mistakes I think a lot of people make when they hire a buyer agent is they don't know what their cost per transaction is. And so they'll end up wanting someone and they'll pay them 60, 70, 75%. You can't make any money that way. You've got to look at how much does it cost you to generate each one of those inquiries. My husband tells me to stop calling them leads because they are people, people with feelings, people with needs, people with hopes, people with dreams. You've got to stop calling them leads, he says, or you'll treat them like a lead, meaning you may call them back, you may not. (laughs) So I'm trying real hard not to say a lead. And that's hard after 29 years. So you have to know your cost per transaction. You have to know your cost of making that telephone ring or that email coming in. If you're not tracking your numbers and know where you're at financially and what your cost to do business is, it's really going to be hard to know how to compensate anyone. But I would say in general, never more than 
So if I understood correctly, you stair-step up when they first start from 40 to 45 to 50, and then after the first year, they start at 50 each year, and they can go as high as 65% after they hit 30, 40, and 50 closings during the year. Is that correct? That's correct. And then when January rolls over, like I had one that got up to 65% last year on one sale, and she was excited because she closed 50. But when we start over in January the following year, they're at 50%. How about the compensation for the listing specialist? So all of the administrative folks on my team are hourly plus a bonus, a transaction bonus. $100 closing is what they're paid. So the listing department, every listing that closes is $100. On the buyer, closing manager, $100. The listing manager, $100. And an hourly rate. And the hourly rate will be anywhere from $14 to $18 an hour. So most of them are making somewhere between 35 and 50 depending on how many transactions they do. The other thing I do with all my administrative folks is we do a quarterly profit share because an admin is kind of hard, you know, the buyer agent side, they're motivated to sell. They're 100% commission. If they don't sell, they don't eat. You know, they're going to be out there self-motivating. But the administrative people you can end up having your wages so high because you continue to work for you a year and you give a raise and two years you give a raise and you've got holidays. You can end up pretty soon having some payroll that's crazy that if you hit a down market, it's really hard then to cut back hours or lay people off. And, you know, many of us had to face that in the, in the previous years. So I started a profit share bonus. That helps them to engage in the bottom line profits. They know what we need to gross after cost of goods sold, meaning after we pay out our agents, what we need left to pay their salary, to pay everything else. And we've got this number in mind that we want to get to every month. And that helps me by helping them watch the bottom line, try to get referrals, try to sell more. Because if we have a profitable quarter, they know they're going to get bonus. And that bonus is usually 1% or 2% of their base wages based on 40 hours per week. And so that helps to motivate them to do more as well. And it also protects me with a profit share that if the market drops again, I don't have that big big payroll that's going to put me under. Sure, that's a great idea. So basically your staff has a fixed portion of their compensation and a variable portion. The fixed will be there all the time, but the variable goes up and down with the number of transactions and the market movement. And that's how you've mitigated some of your risk. Yes, it goes up and down based on transaction and profit. Also, it sounds like you're practicing a little bit of open book management in that your staff knows what your cost of goods sold is, what what the nut is they have to cover each month before they can achieve that objective of getting into the profit share. That's exactly right. And so when they're logging in into commission manager, the sale, the amount the firm is going to receive, they're watching that bottom line number grow so that we exceed our our goals because they know it's going to be a bigger bonus for them. So they don't want files to drop out during due diligence. They want to get them to close. You know, they work a little bit harder because they don't want to lose anything. And and it also helps them to really share in the success of the business that way. How about the compensation for the seller specialist? So the seller specialist will receive 25% of the gross commission at closing. They also, after they close, Over 50, they will go up. The highest they will go up to is 35%. But they have to be listing and selling quite a few units before they go up. And even if someone stayed at 25%, 
they're going to make $100,000 a year just listing property based on the formula we have working right now. I'm sure when you bring people in to, to join the team as an agent, you have to convince them to look at absolute dollars, not at percentages. What are they going to take home? That's right. That's right. And then, you know, maybe they're an agent right now and they're doing their typical six to ten transactions a year. They don't have the staff doing the majority of the business once they list the property. I mean, my listing agents, what they have to be really good at is presentation. They have to be really good at persuasion. And after that, the team pretty much does everything for them. And of course, we have a PowerPoint presentation that they use. We have a PowerPoint presentation for the buyer agents for their consultation with their clients. And everything is already handed to them. It's hard to not be successful on my team because of everything that we've put in place for them. Well, Linda, you have a a lot of people running around. Are you profitable? Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm definitely profitable. We run at about 55%. One of the things that's really important to look at, obviously, is your expenses. The ones that can get totally out of control is your wages, also your advertising. Our advertising is about 12%. I'd love for it to be about 10 but you know we're still in growth mode as well. But yes, yeah, so we're definitely profitable. So when you say 55%, that's 55% net profit margin. If $100 comes in the top of your business, $55 is coming out the bottom? If $100 comes in, after I pay all my expenses and all my agents, I'm keeping 55 you're keeping 55 for you. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So your overall expense has been running around 45%. Correct. And I have a P&L every, every week. I track my numbers, all of my spending. I'm always watching my business, which is the numbers. Has it always been 55% or have you had to work to get it up there? I've had to work to get it up there. I have a coach that has taught me so many things about managing a business, understanding my numbers, keeping my expenses in line, making purchases out of revenue instead of creating debt. He just taught me so much. One of the things about real estate is you never really learn how to run a business. You learn how to work. You see what other realtors do in an office, but running a business, and that's really what we're all about. We're running a business. We're self-employed. Many people just don't know how to do that. And unless you go to a conference that teaches it or get a coach. You know, you're just struggling all the time trying to figure out why you have no money. Uh, Who's been your coach? Ken Goodfellow. He's in Ottawa. CKG has been my coach. Linda, I think that you have mentioned that you have marketing agreements. What do you mean by marketing agreements? Well, it's where we give advertising to vendors in exchange for a monthly fee. So most of our lenders are paying 1000 to $1,500 a month, and we have them on the back of our moving bands. We have them on our website. We give out their name. We have five lenders that are preferred partners is what we call them. And so we have a marketing agreement, and as long as they are getting advertising and you can really track that advertising, they can pay you a fee per month. We get a fee from our insurance company, from our title insurance, in exchange for the marketing that we give them. And you could do that because it's a flat fee. They're getting advertising. It has nothing to do with how much referral business is going back and forth. It's just that they're co-advertising with you or they've advertised on your space. That's exactly right. We can't receive a referral fee or we can't have it based on a transaction with a client. But they can pay you an advertising fee for the marketing that you give them, but you have to give the marketing. Well, I bought my moving van. I have zero based on my moving vans because of the advertising that I put on the back of the vans. 
that people pay every month for, so they paid for the vans. And now that the vans and everything's paid for, I still have the advertising on vans. They're not paying for that anymore. It's just profit to me. Linda, what drives you? I absolutely love this business, and I love winning and growing. I love watching the team members that work with me excel. I have some that they're making so much money they can't even believe it. You know, I mean, a lot of times people are making $30,000 and all of a sudden they're in six figures and their life is changing. I mean, that gets me excited every day. Just, you know, let's go see what this team is going to do today. This is my life. I have two dogs. I have a husband. My daughter has grown. Real estate is my life. I've had people all the time say, you know, when are you going to retire? What are you going to do? I'm like, what? No, why do people want to retire? I do not get that. What are you going to do if you retire? I say I'm going to die putting a full sign on somebody's home. Hopefully it won't be yours. But <laughs> I mean, it's just like, gosh, you know, it's just so exciting. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to work every day and you're making a living and you're making a difference in people's lives. How exciting is that? What a privilege it is. I just love what I do. Linda, why have you been so successful? I think it's because I'm very intentional. And when I say intentional, I mean everything that I do, I have something in mind that I want to accomplish with that. And if I fail, I'm intentional about learning from that to get better so that I can succeed next time. I love to win. I don't like to lose. You know, nobody likes to lose, but I just love that feeling of winning. And so the best way that you win is you just continue to practice and practice and get better and better. And that's an intention that you have to cause yourself to get up every day and be disciplined to keep on going. So just learning and growing and always trying to figure out how you can be better. But you have to be intentional about that. It doesn't just come from watching television and, you know, you got to really go after it. Linda, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Buy a moving van if you can afford one. And if you can't, get some advertisers and zero basin on the back end and get your, get your moving van. Get your, get your little bit of exposure because it's pretty inexpensive, especially if you zero basin. I think the best thing, though, that an agent can do is join a team. It is so hard to start from, from the ground up with no book of business and no real systems in place. And you get your license, you go to work for a big firm typically. It's hard to get going in that environment because today there's just so many ways that marketing is reaching buyers and it costs money to market. And most people, when they start in the business, don't have any money. So, you know, if I was going into a new market and I had a few dollars saved up, I would definitely buy a moving van. Probably have to go back to the beginning where we call in for sell by owners and expires, which means you better work hard on your scripts. Network, I would definitely get out and network and meet people. But I would learn how to network. I see so many people that, you know, hand out business cards and ask for business or, you know, here's my business card. If you know anybody buying or selling, give me a call. That's not how you network. You network by developing relationships. You know, you network by when somebody asks you what you do, having your elevator speech that actually means something to them and not about you. So, you know, spend some time learning how to get out there from the experts that really are great at selling, regardless of what it is they sell. And learn how to meet people and develop relationships. And we're in a relationship business. You will be successful if you learn how to develop and maintain those relationships. Linda, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I think they're very valuable. I have learned so much from other realtors around the country. I tell people all the time, if you can't learn in your office what to do to be successful, 
reach outside of your area, meet other realtors, learn from them, and you are a conduit for that to happen. So it's, it's excellent. I hope whoever's listened to this has picked up a few pearls that they're going to be able to use in their own business. And if they didn't, they certainly will when they listen to your next interview because that's what it's all about. I think they're going to learn a lot from this one. It's been excellent. Thank you. Linda, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts? Just thank you so much for letting me share 29 years of experience with your group. I hope that they've learned something. I hope that there's something that they're going to put into practice in their business and make tons of money and have a great life. And if there's anything that I can do to help you in the future or any of your followers, please reach out to me. Well, Linda, you've built a fabulous business. You shared how you cultivate repeating referrals from your past clients and sphere of influence by throwing parties. You turned the laborious chore of follow-up into fun-filled, exciting events. Your love of hockey turned into a marketing opportunity and a local TV expert slot. Your website is SEO-optimized and draws buyer and seller inquiries like a magnet. You lead your team towards higher goals by helping more clients enjoy a smoother process. Why retire when the business is getting bigger, better, and more exciting? Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to a husband and wife who teamed up to sell $25 million last year. Find out who they are on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.